Well, I think we should just go ahead and jump to the chase tonight. And the chase is this. I believe that when you study God's scripture, the word that reveals who Jesus is, I think that you're gonna find a theme that's a bit terrifying. And that theme is this. One of the most powerful forces that God ever created is the force of masculinity. It's almost atomic in nature, meaning when masculinity is aligned and when it's working, when it's clicking, when it's whole, when it's healthy, it brings light and it brings heat to a world that needs light and heat. Think Chernobyl pre-destruction. It creates power. It creates safety. It creates transformation. God invented masculinity to be one of the most profound forces for blessing that he ever created in this world. But we also know if we could be honest about our own stories and honest about the news that we read on the daily and just what it means to be in this fallen world, masculinity can also be a tremendous force for cursing. Think post-Chernobyl meltdown. This atomic force that God created and he, he breathed life into this force of masculinity. And by the way, the caveat is none of this diminishes God, his calling on femininity. It's just different. But God's creation of masculinity to be this force for blessing in the world that's gone really profoundly wrong and that often is not a force for blessing, but a force for cursing is one of the most baffling things that I think we could, that we could be honest about admitting. God invented masculinity to be a source of strength. And yet it feels like we're caught up in a tsunami of guys that don't know who they are guys that are trying to figure out our own stories, guys that are trying to reconcile all the desires that we carry in our chest, guys that are trying to figure out things like work and sex and marriage and aging and death. And it feels really difficult to be a man in our cultural moment. So tonight, what we wanna talk about is mature masculinity, not just masculinity. We wanna talk about maturity. And we wanna talk about maturity from the framework of being a blessing to the world. Mature masculinity is the potentiality of blessing with word and blessing with deed and actually blessing with your very presence as a man in such a way that your masculinity creates shade so that life can grow in that shade. Mature masculinity is a force for blessing and bent, twisted, immature, unharnessed, unredeemed masculinity is a massive force for cursing. Now I get when I say the word blessing and I say the word cursing, that doesn't mean a lot to guys in our culture. These are kind of of Christian-y words, aren't they? Like when I think of the word blessing, uh, the things that come to mind are the horrible things that are sort of vocational hazards of being a pastor. Like being a pastor means that you have to go deep, deep down the wormhole of terrible Christian subculture. Um, When I hear the word blessing, I think of horrific chain emails that have been sent to me repeatedly. If you you send me one of those chain emails, you're not helping me out in my outlook on life. Um, Send this to seven people and God will bless you. Delete, delete. Or, Or worse yet, in our culture, in our culture, we hear the word blessing and we just sort of think of like saccharine, sweetsy, sentimental Christianese right? Like precious moments figurines and, or, or maybe blessing to you. If you're a guy that's not been raised in the church and you haven't seen the horrible things I just mentioned, you hear the word blessing. And it's just something that people say as a throwaway word after somebody sneezes, right? Somebody sneezes, bless you, bless you. 
right? But what I wanna show you tonight is that actually in scripture, blessing is something totally different than that. The biblical concept of blessing is so profound. It's so powerful. It's so deep. In some ways, the entire story of the Bible is the story of God wanting to bring blessing where there was cursing. Cursing is another word that gets thrown away in our culture. Um, If you're a nerd like me and you really like Harry Potter, that might be about the only context you hear the word cursing. Or maybe you hear the word cursing and you think of what you do when you get cut off in traffic or you hit your you hit your thumb with a hammer. Um, those may be words in bad taste, but that's not cursing. It's not cursing. So let me try to define some terms as we dive into this tonight. To bless someone, to bless someone is to speak God's favor, the heart of the living God, the intentions of the living God, the purposes of the living God into the life of a human in such a way that that blessing, that alignment with purpose, that hope that life could be different actually leads to overwhelming happiness. To bless is to speak life where there's death. To bless, to bless is to help people in a world that's really terrifying and confusing and chaotic. To bless is to help people find alignment with their God-given calling, their purpose, and their destiny. To bless is to invite people into a whole new world of actually realizing what they are for in this world and what God's called them to. And, And to curse is equally profound. To curse is not to drop an F-bomb when you get cut off in traffic. To curse is to bring death. To curse is to be twisted or to be bent away from your purpose. To curse is to have something really essential to human existence and flourishing, to joy and to goodness stolen from your life. To curse in some of its worst iterations is to actually help someone be twisted and bent away from their purpose in God. So to bless is this gift, to bless is this beautiful, profound, spiritual thing that doesn't just touch the spiritual. It's not just about Sunday morning and the hour and 15 minutes when people in the Midwest go to church. To bless is to take all 168 hours of the week work and sexuality and relationship and money and identity to bless is to invite all of those dynamics of reality into alignment with truth and with beauty and with goodness that's lasting and that's deep. And to curse is to be twisted and bent and malformed away from the very purpose of God. So today, as we talk about mature masculinity as the capacity for blessing, we have to be honest that the problem today is way deeper than dudes that are 40 and down having to go to YouTube to figure out how to change the oil in their cars, right? The problem goes a lot deeper than many of us not having had dads around to teach us how to do certain things in the garage. The problem in our culture is that our masculinity, if we could be honest, the essence of what it means to be a man that's a bit hard to define, but it's beautiful when it shows up. Our masculinity itself has been malformed. It's been twisted. It's been bent by the curse of sin and not only by the curse of sin that we carry in our chest, but our masculinity has been further malformed and twisted away from its purpose by the absence, by the absence 
of masculine blessing that human beings are desperate to receive. In our culture, masculine cursing is everywhere. Masculine cursing is found in, in what we'll just call tonight faux masculinity, meaning it's masculinity that has the external trappings of manliness, but not the substance, the heart, the depth of manliness. Uh, in our cultural moment, there's such hostility against manhood that it's easy to sort of react to that and, and basically acquire all the outside markers of being a man, like liking beer and being able to hunt and driving a truck and wearing flannel, rocking a beard. And, and those things aren't wrong. I hope that all those things are in store for my weekend, but that's, <laughs> that's not the essence of masculinity. What we have in our cultural moment is that a bunch of boys that haven't been initiated are trying to figure out how to be men. We don't know what it looks like to give our lives away for the blessing and benefit of others. We think that money, success, sex, the right marriage, the right position at work, that these are going to answer the deeper longings. And all of those things can be beautiful. They can be good, but they're just trappings without the heart of true masculinity. In our culture, we see the cursing of toxic masculinity toxic masculinity. If you were paying attention at all, you've been aware of the reality of the Me Too movement that's blowing up all over the West. That these men that had power and position use that power and position to not protect and to not bring thriving and flourishing to people that they should have stewarded and loved and served, but instead they used power, position, and privilege to gobble people up. The Me Too movement just pulled back the covers and showed that a lot of times masculinity, instead of being a place of safety is a place of tremendous danger for people that are wounded and broken and need a safe place. And in this culture where there's so much toxic masculinity, can we just be honest? Much of our culture says that masculinity itself is toxic. It made me really sad after the Sandy Hook shootings to not just go through the tragedy of that loss of life and to see how far our culture has fallen into violence. But it made me equally sad, if I could be honest, to watch social media and see again and again and again, the problem be diagnosed as not just twisted masculinity, but masculinity itself. The problem is men. The problem is that boys are just profoundly broken and wrong. There's something wrong. There's something dirty. There's something violent about masculinity in its essence. And maybe the most profound way masculinity brings cursing and death in our world is just by its absence. It's just by the fatherlessness that's ripping apart lives. It's by the number of guys that walk out on their families. It's by the 23 million kids in our nation that don't have dads to teach them how to do anything. All around us, all around us, there's brokenness, there's fracturing. And I want to tell you brothers this, my heart in this moment is not full of despair. I'm not chicken little running around talking about the sky falling. I'm looking at a group of men, hundreds of men in this room that actually want to get answers to the deeper questions. They actually, they actually want to wrestle with what does it mean to be a mature man that can give his life away in an act of blessing? What does real masculinity look like? What is maturity? What does it mean if you're a grandpa in the room to finish your race well and give your life away for your grandchildren? What does it mean if you're 15 in this room and you're trying to figure out how to chart a course in the midst of a chaotic world? What do you need to aspire to and look to? Well, it's hard to define mature masculinity. 
And sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? What we see is that throughout culture, we've had sociologists and mythologists and psychologists talk about these collective threads known as archetypes. An archetype quite simply is a symbol or a motif that keeps popping up all over the place. An archetype is a picture that communicates meaning. And the thing that's fascinating as we try to figure out what it means to be a mature man across every culture on this planet, Eastern and Western, rich and poor, all of the different cultures that make up planet earth, since the very beginning of masculinity, there have been these four big masculine archetypes. And those four masculine archetypes do something to tell us about the story that God's inviting us into with our manhood. Those archetypes communicate a bit of what it means to be a man. And sadly, the people that write about the archetypes often miss that God's the one that's telling the story. Those archetypes show us the capacity of men to be a blessing and the capacity of men to be a cursing. I wanna take a couple of minutes and talk about these archetypes. What is it to experience whole, 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 full, robust, deep, rooted maturity in our manhood? Well, let me give you a few pictures. In the cultures across planet earth, they've talked about manhood in four different ways. Four four archetypes are as follows. Um, There's the lover who brings blessing in relationship. There's the warrior who brings blessing in service. There's the king who brings blessing in authority. And there's the sage who brings blessing in wisdom. Let's talk about these for a minute. The lover that brings blessing in relationship is not just talking about romantic relationships. Now we live in a cultural moment where the end all be all of human relationship is the sexual relationship, right? We took Tolkien's killer three volume work, Lord of the Rings, which is all about spiritual friendship. It's all about risk and brotherhood. And we had to turn it into a romance story when it became a movie. The reason is in our culture, we don't see the beauty and the profundity of what it is to be a true friend, a brother in arms. To be a lover is not just to engage in romantic relationships. It's the capacity to bless in brotherhood. Think of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, two brothers that loved each other, that were willing to lay down their lives for one another. Think more recently of HBO's Band of Brothers, the kind of bonds that were formed in the trenches between those men. The lover has the capacity to receive the blessing of masculine strength from friends and to give away the blessing by sharing life with brothers in thick and thin. Friends, look at me. We're gonna see how Jesus fulfills these archetypes in just a minute and how he does the work of getting us there. But let me just say, part of your creation as a man and part of your masculine maturity is determined by your ability to receive the blessing of brotherhood, of friendship, and to do life, not in isolation, but in communion with other men. Now this blessing has a shadow side, has a cursing side, And that cursing side has led to maybe the most common type of poverty in America. And there's a lot of kinds of poverty that are evil, that are destructive, but I don't know that there's any poverty that's more pervasive or destructive than the relational poverty of the American male. We live in profound isolation. 
And we're not gonna do a show of hands because the last thing I wanna do is embarrass any man in this room. But I want you to ask yourself a deep question. If the stuff hit the fan at three in the morning, is there a brother that you could call that would be there? You were made to express the kind of love and to receive the kind of love that can only be given you in a deep masculine relationship of friendship. Cursing happens in our ability to walk out lives as lovers of our brothers in the isolation that comes from wanting to hide from men. If we could just be honest, there's a sense in all of us that we're not what we should be that if any of the guys in this room really knew us, if they really knew what we thought about, what we struggled with, if they really saw our deepest, darkest failures, they would reject us. This causes us to hide. We're all tempted to pretend with other men that we're something that we're not, that we're okay when we're not okay. We're all tempted to wear masks that look like, hey man, I'm defined by how great I'm doing in the gym or how great I'm doing in the bedroom or how great I'm doing at work. And all these masks keep us from actually having brothers that share the load of life with us. We're all tempted. Instead of loving other men like David and Jonathan, we're tempted to compete, compare, and backstab. Now that lover archetype, that ability to bless in relationship and that cursing that's happened because of sin, it doesn't just happen with friends. It also does happen in marriage. The biblical story of marriage is the blessing of pursuing one woman protecting one woman, providing for one woman, honoring one woman, knowing one woman, intimacy of body and soul with one woman. And we know if we could be honest that the cursing that's happened in our sexuality is so profound that maybe this is the biggest place where our masculine strength has gone wrong. Instead of blessing, we bring cursing. We struggle with being the addicted lover that actually asks women and porn to fill the gaping hole of our souls. And many of us in the room have known the pain of going from relationship to relationship to relationship, looking for something and thinking maybe just maybe this one's the one. And then we're in relationship and we're still the messed up, broken guy that we were before. And we go to the next. Or we fill up our lives with virtual harems of women to try to feel alive, to try to feel intimacy. Cursing has come into our masculine strength as lovers of a woman with the non-committal lover that many of us struggle with being. Meaning to say yes to one woman is the terrifying reality that that's to say no to all women. The cursing has come in the form of selfishness where instead of laying down our lives for our wives and for the women in our community, instead of treating women that are younger, like sisters in the Lord in purity, often we treat them like pieces of meat. And instead of being a safe place, we're often passive or violent. This is the lover quadrant. We were made for a depth of relationship that most men in this room have not tasted of in a really long time. We know the curse, but we don't always know the blessing. Now, you you might've heard the saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And, And I get that, but... Mature masculinity includes both being a lover and a warrior. Being a lover and a warrior. A warrior is the capacity to bless in service. Now, it's easy to dismiss warrior energy as just sort of retrograde, backwoods, crazy, macho, paleolithic nonsense until until there's a force of darkness at work 
And that force is gonna bring violence and destruction to the things that are beautiful if men aren't willing to sacrifice. Often we don't know what to do with warriors during peacetime. If you're one of our natural warriors in the room and you fought overseas, sometimes it's hard to figure out what do you do as a warrior in peacetime? And what I wanna say is that from a spiritual perspective, there is no such thing as peacetime. And masculine strength is not just expressed as being a lover, it's also expressed as being a warrior. This is devotion to a worthy cause. This is the reality that there's no such thing as a deep masculine life if you don't have something bigger than you that you're willing to die for. This is being a part of a struggle that's worth struggling for. This is a fight for what's true and what's beautiful. This is a life of self-sacrifice and discipline and courage. This is the realm of heroism. This is strength that's given away for the blessing and benefit of others. But cursing is alive and well here, isn't it? Often instead of being warriors that offer strength to a worthy cause for the protection and blessing of others, we've gone violent or we've gone passive. We use strength more often than we want to admit, to intimidate, to bully, to abuse. And often instead of sticking our necks out to sacrifice, we serve ourselves at the expense of others. Now, friends, at some point, a warrior has to transition into being a king. Um, Aragorn wasn't always Aragorn. He was known for years as Strider. And at some point, Strider has to put away, he has to put away the cloak of the ranger and he has to take the crown of a king. And as a man's life progresses, mature masculinity is being a warrior that knows how to fight, that receives responsibility. The king in masculine archetypes is the blessing that comes through authority. Mature masculinity expresses authority in worthy ways for the blessing and benefit of others. Now let's talk about this honestly. There's guys in this room that have very little authority. If you're starting out in life and you're 14, 15, 16 years old, your kingdom is probably your bedroom at this point, right? Uh, your, your domain includes your bedroom and maybe your fish. If you're blessed to have a dog, you can throw that in. But here, here's what I want to say. The virtue that's being formed in you or the vices that are being formed in you as you steward that little dominion of a bedroom and a pet are the vices and the virtues that are gonna grow and either eat your lunch or bring life and beauty as God gives you a family and a job and responsibilities in the local church. There are men in this room that have to serve as kings in business. Your responsibility is to bring order to chaos, to bless with leadership. There are men in this room that have families who depend on you to actually exercise authority, to exercise power, not in an abusive way, but in a way that leads to the blessing and flourishing of others. To be a good king is not to live a life of being served and being comfortable. To be a good king from a biblical perspective is using your authority to lay down your life so that other people can thrive, flourish, and live. Now, the cursing here is really deep and we see it everywhere. We see it in CEOs that are out for themselves and not their employees. We see it in politicians who instead of laying down their lives for their constituents are willing to do anything to stay in power. We see it in husbands that demand that their wives serve them 
that take male leadership of the home to mean that they can somehow be a little dictator or a tyrant. These, these bent ways of exercising authority have one thing in common. It's always me first, me first. As long as I get mine, as long as I'm comfortable and blessed, then maybe just maybe there'll be crumbs that fall from my table for others. It's the cursing of what it means to be a king and blessed in the exercise of authority. The final archetype that we see throughout culture is the sage. The sage is the capacity to bless in wisdom. And it's really hard to talk about because in our culture, we don't value sages. We push sages to the edges. We kick sages out of our churches and out of our businesses. We make them move to Florida, which is a terrible place to have to live. And so it's a little harder to talk about the sage. It's difficult to define in our culture, but here's what the sage is. The sage is the one who suffering and sacrifice and a life of being formed has mature masculinity that offers wisdom to initiate those around him into fullness. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as T'Challa, if you saw the tremendous film, Black Panther, there's no such thing as T'Challa stepping into the throne without Zuri helping to initiate him. The problem we have in our culture is that we haven't valued sages. Sages don't abound in the church. They don't abound in business. They don't abound in politics because we're all out for ourselves. We gobble each other up and we kill our elderly. The sage is essential to masculine strength because this is the season in life where you're called to actually diminish in some ways so that those under you and around you can thrive and flourish and run. We see this in the Bible in guys like Nathan, the prophet that was willing to rebuke King David in his sin. We see this with uh, old Simeon in the temple who hang on, he, he hung on long enough to be able to bless the baby Jesus. Sages help us see reality and they point out deeper meaning. And the cursing of the sage is found in trying to be a guru that makes everybody dependent on the wisdom of the sage. Instead of giving wisdom and life away, cursing and twisting of the sage looks like being dependent, being the center, being indispensable to the life of those around him. Now, here's what I want you to get. These pictures, the lover who is called to bless with masculine strength in relationship, the warrior he's called to bless with masculine strength in service, the king who's called to bless in masculine strength with authority, the sage that's called to bless in masculine strength with wisdom. These beautiful pictures should create in your soul a sense of longing. It should make you, it should make you sit up a little bit and say, hey man, there's more to life than just surviving. There's more to life than just sort of holding on for the next vacation. There's more to life than just waiting for retirement. These pictures that you see in culture should be a message from God to us as men that there's way more than what we settle for as men. And the question then comes, well, how do we step into this kind of maturity? How do you become a lover that's not devouring women, but a lover that's selfless and that lays down his life so that you can have a wife that flourishes? How do you become a lover that actually has a depth of relationship? Uh, I, I saw someone talk about the greatest miracle of Jesus's life wasn't the resurrection. It was that he had friends in his thirties, right? Like, how do you, how do you blow that up and actually live a life of communion instead of a life of loneliness? 
How do you, as God gives you more responsibility, exercise that responsibility as a good king that uses power in worthy ways? And how by God's grace can we all have the ambition to get old and gray and instead of being bummed out that we can't do what we used to do in the gym, we celebrate that season of life as one of the most fruitful times of being a man where we can initiate young men into their calling around us. Well, there's two answers that culture gives. How do you grow into mature masculinity? Here's what our culture would tell you. Option one, self-help. Self-help read the right book, get the right guru. And ultimately, if you're gonna be mature, you have to look inside of yourself because the answer is inside of you. Now, the problem with that is that self-help can give you some incremental external changes, but self-help never brings transformation. And the reason you can go to Barnes and Noble and walk the self-help aisles until you're exhausted and your legs cramp up is because everybody's got the latest answer, the latest life hack to try to help you maximize your best life now. Self-help won't get it done. If you could save yourself, you would have already done it. Can I get an amen? There are men in this room that are so tired of being owned by porn, owned by greed, owned by our anger problems, the level of frustration in the men I talk to, seeing who they wanna be and seeing what life looks like today is so high that if self-help could get it done, it would have got it done already. Can I get an amen? Self-help won't get it done. And in addition to that, moralism won't get it done either. Moralism says, just try harder. Just try harder. Moralism is like another abusive dad or loud coach yelling at you to act like a man. Sadly, what happens even in the church is that we think somehow that we can curse people into becoming a blessing, right? We can curse them into being a blessing. If we just yell at the young guys enough to stop looking at porn, all of a sudden that cursing will turn into a blessing. How's that working out for us? You can't curse people into being a blessing. You can't self-motivate yourself into maturity. In fact, here's the reality. And I pray by God's grace as this church gets older that we get better and better at doing this. We can't kick guys into the nuts to force maturity. A kick in the nuts is not gonna make you grow up. If a kick in the nuts was gonna work, a lot of you have dads that would have done a better job than what they did. So what do we do? Where do we turn? Is there hope for us? Can our masculinity be a blessing to the world? And and here's where we wanna land tonight with the profound good news of Jesus. Here's the reality. There's no way to recover true masculinity, the blessing of maturity outside of the person and work of Jesus. Jesus. 